You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD+, and that helps you make energy, it helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD Plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD Plus. It's what I use. Today's cool fact of the day is that it takes about 60,000 bees collectively traveling up to 55,000 miles and visiting more than 2 million flowers to get enough nectar to make one pound of honey. Uh, Talk about some massive teamwork. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Now, I may have foreshadowed what we're going to be talking about when I talked about bee teamwork and 60,000 bees. I live here on Vancouver Island and specifically planted a bunch of different pollinator attractants in the organic garden that I use to feed myself and my family whenever I'm home. Uh, We actually grow all of our own vegetables. It's not that hard to do, and it's pretty amazing but it doesn't work without bees. And that's why I've invited two different people onto the podcast today. And if you're watching on on YouTube, you can go to bulletproofexec.com slash YouTube if you don't have have that link to get to the Bulletproof channel. Uh, But uh, one of them is Miriam Hanane, who's a journalist, a filmmaker, and an entrepreneur who directed a documentary called Vanishing of the Bees. And she runs a company called honeycolony.com. She had a a near-fatal car crash 
and had an amazing story of recovery we're going to talk about in a little bit and ended up looking at health and nutrition and used that same health and nutrition knowledge to look at what's happening with colony collapse disorder. Something that scares the heck out of me, coffee relies on pollinators. Everything we eat relies on pollinators and the stuff that the industry, the food industry, big food is doing to kill bees or big agriculture, you could say, it's shocking and scary and it's unacceptable. And if you believe in the bulletproof principles of doing things that make you kick more ass, eating makes you kick more ass and you need bees to do that. It just, it's that straightforward. Our, our second guest who's part of the show who works with Miriam is Stephen Brightback. <clears throat> Brightback who's an entrepreneur in the health and wellness field for 20 years and pioneered one of the first fresh pressed juice bars in Chicago and has been using pollen as a superfood for a, a very long time and has now created a company called Hive Mind Bee Pollen and he sources that from ethical, properly run uh, apiaries. Uh, Bulletproof uh, and the, the work I do there, I don't have any bee products. I've used bee pollen. I recommend raw honey before bed for some people because it increases uh, glycogen in the liver by 22%, which is different than muscle glycogen. And little hacks like that you read in the Bulletproof Diet. But I was pretty stoked to be able to pull these two together to be on the Bulletproof radio show so we can talk about bees, talk about how important they are, talk about what honey and honey products do for you, and just talk all things bees. So Miriam and Steve, thank you to, thank you for coming on. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having us, Steve. All right. Miriam, let's start with how the heck a car crash got you started in all of this. Um, I am from Canada and I was um, here, it had been I think five years, and I was outside of a actually metaphys metaphysical bookstore that's now defunct and uh, had a near-death experience as you said, was hit as a pedestrian and dragged 50 feet and um, suffered many broken bones and my body kind of just exploded after that with just a series of crappy things that, that happened to me from an ovarian cyst to several surgeries on, on my leg. And I, as a Canadian, being raised with health insurance and finding out that I wasn't covered and they didn't even um, tell me that I, I should have physiotherapy. So I used yoga as physiotherapy and I really used myself as a guinea pig and uh, found out how... Um, Western medicine just really lacks, I mean, they're really good at issuing, um, doing surgery, issuing tests, and giving drugs. So I really used myself as a, as a guinea pig and really delved into alternative health and medicine. And then later on, the bees flew into my life, and I really, it really opened my eyes to the food supply and all the poison that is being doused um, in the air and in the food and in the water, so on and so forth. And so kind of combined it all and launched a Honey Colony to really empower people to be their own best health advocate and to put honesty back into the food supply. So what is Colony Collapse? Well, Colony Collapse, back when it was um, discovered, quote-unquote, by David Hackenberg in 2007, it, was seem, it seemed as a mystery. Now the only thing is that they deem it as a mystery when it's really not. It's a, a, a disappearance of the bees in a very short amount of time. There's other characteristics. And we now know today that at the root cause are these systemic pesticides 
that are killing bees and also now in our water, uh, affecting human brains, killing other pollinators, whether it's bats or monarchs, so on and so forth. And it's happening all over the world from in the United States to Greece. You mentioned the monarch butterflies. Just yesterday, I was showing my kids, they're, they're six and eight, uh, a video of monarchs pollinating. Really cool high-speed photography and all that. And they said, what are those? I said, oh, you know, we, we, we wanted to go visit those in the Santa Cruz Mountains where they, they go over winter to hibernate. And I said, but 90% of them have been killed. Like, like the, there's almost none showing up anymore compared to what used to happen. I'm like, that's really sad. And it's not okay that this is happening and this is something we can change. And they're like, yeah, we, we can change that. That's not fair. We like our butterflies. And it's kind of funny that here we are the next day talking about this on, on Bulletproof Radio. Uh, what, uh, what are these systemic pesticides? Uh, like, like, what are their names and who's using them? So systemic pesticides are neurotoxins. And they're called systemic because they're entrenched in the soil or they're coated onto the seeds. They can be sprayed, but that's not the common use. And so they're called neonicotinoids. They're nicotine-based. There's a whole slew of them, imetacloprid, clothaniodin, um, lots of long words, complicated. And so the, this family of systemic pesticides are the most popular in the entire world. They're manufactured by Bayer Crop Science. They're also manufactured by Syngenta. And um, they were deemed safer but that's not actually the case. What happens is that the plant, um, it, it uptakes into the, to the plant itself, so the plant itself is, is uh, toxic. And what happens is that the bees take back the nectar and pollen and store it, and then it affects future generations. So it's very insidious because it's not easy to point out and say, oh, this is what killed the bees, because there's also all these variables, and you'll often come across magazine articles that don't even, they're like, the bees are dying due to a multitude of factors. And sometimes pesticides are listed at the, as the last factor and sometimes they're not listed at, at all. Um, so there's a lot of disinformation out there. Uh, but there's empirical evidence from beekeepers around the world, and this has been happening since 2007. It started happening actually earlier in the middle 90s in France. And in France, you know, they say that the people, uh, the government is afraid of the people, where here we're afraid of the government. They rallied, they sued, and when those pesticides were removed, there was a comeback that was witnessed. Um, however, they've put forth more uh, systemic pesticides. Um, so in, in a nutshell, that, that's what systemic pesticides are. So this is a question for, for both, both of you. What do you think will happen if we keep using these pesticides for another 10 years? Well, um, the, the, the issue of these pesticides is not really my forte, but if I had to guess, I would say uh, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. You know, I mean, if, these, uh, if our bee population has declined as much as it has at this point, 10 years, I don't even know if we have 10, 10 years. I mean, we could be in a lot of trouble as far as our, our ability to produce food. Uh, to feed a civilization, um, so it's it's not a pretty picture uh, from from the, the way it looks from my perspective. But uh, you know, I'm not an expert in that in that area. So, Miriam, what's what's your take on that? What, what how would you answer that question? Well, I would liken it. I mean, we're just 
the planet is, is becoming increasingly toxic and um, if it's in our water and if it's affecting our brains, you, know, you see the increase in uh, Alzheimer's, autism, cancer. Um, I, I suffer from an autoimmune condition that I, I manage most of the time to keep in remission. And I tell people that just like the honeybees are environmental indicators, so are people with autoimmune. It's the look good, feel bad disease um, where no one would ever know that I suffer from um, an autoimmune. And I think it's like this perfect storm of so many variables coming together. So I think we will continue to see an increase in, in disease and, um, and in pollution. And again, if it's in our water, if it's in our soil, these metabolites stay up to 18 years. A lot of the times the metabolites are even more dangerous than the parent compounds. It's all the, all the corn, they often wanna, you know, people love to hate Monsanto and these genetically modified seeds, yes, they're genetically modified and that has repercussions in itself, but a lot of times they're coated with systemic pesticides and it's important to make that distinction. So I, I think these, these pesticides have to absolutely be banned. It's long overdue. Is there a country or an area that has banned these? Yes, there was an um, interim ban uh, for three years in European Union. It's now expired. Uh, not all the, like Greece, for instance, was pro-systemic uh, pesticides, but in any case, so there was uh, an improvement and now they're looking at that moratorium again. So it, it has, it, yes, it has been banned in other countries, and, um, but not the United States. What happened to the bee populations in the three years when it was banned? Well, there was, there was a comeback. There, there was a revival. And, of course, I tell people for those beekeepers that you know, are organic or have a reverence towards the bee, they haven't witnessed any losses. It's a bee can fly up to five miles, um, of course, so there, if there's agricultural land around, then there's an impact. Um, so, so, yeah, they've seen an improvement. But in the United States, we continue nonprofit groups, whether it's Beyond Pesticides or Center for Food Safety, are doing wonderful work at the front lines trying to change legislation. But these companies are, as you know, have tons of sway and money. It, it took you five years to make Vanishing of the Bees. Uh, why so long? And I, I did a documentary, it took me two years, and it, it kind of kicked my butt. This was Moldy, the, the, talk, the documentary about toxic mold and water damage in houses and how this is causing neurotoxic exposure in humans. You're talking about neurotoxins that are affecting animals, but so, so w tell me the story of, of the documentary Vanishing of the Bees. Well, George and I decided that we wanted to collaborate, and his friend told him the bees were dying in 2007, and I tell people that at first the gravity of the situation really didn't hit me. And then I spent an afternoon doing some research, and I really resonated with the fact that the bees are a sister society and that they work together for the greater good, and that really spoke to me. And I wanted to make a global film. I wanted to travel the world, and, and the bees brought me to different places and to show the, the impact and how grave this is. And, and when I found out about the sacred feminine and, and, and kind of was in awe of what the bees do, I literally started having bee visitations that were quite magical and one thing led to the other. And it was, 
It took five years, one, because we were looking for funds. Uh, we didn't have funding. And if you look at a documentary, if you look at the credits, usually there's a big team. Well, if you look at our credits, it's George and I. I mean, yes, we had an amazing editor and we had executive producers, but we didn't have sound. We didn't. We did everything. Wow. So I researched, I produced, um, directed, I wrote the script, so on and so forth. So, um, and the story kept unraveling, and we we wanted also we made a conscious decision to arm people with solutions because I've watched environmental films where I say, you know, I wanted to, to, to slip my wrists in the first 10 minutes because it was so kind of dismal. And so we wanted to give people hope. And uh, and so also there was a journey of trying to find, we, we decided we wanted to find a celebrity and that in itself was, was a journey. And uh, I tell people that a bee gave up her life to, to lead us to Ellen Page. Um, so it was all very magical, and yes, it took took long, and we had 300 hours of footage, which we condensed into 87 minutes. We could have made a series of of movies. So and it's you. still ongoing. I mean, it's it's still very relevant. David Hackenberg, who's the poster boy for Colony Collapse, um, experienced even a bigger loss than he originally did in 2007. Wow, so the, the problem is as big as it was when you started the film, and it, it's getting worse. Um, do you do you have hope about this? Like, like, do you think? Do I have this? hope? I I have come to the conclusion. I feel like there's a massive. I mean, this goes down a different route, but kind of a massive depopulation going to happen before, and and at the same time, there's a rev- revolution, and I think there's an abyss that's occurring between people that are eating sugar and watching television and just completely checked out, and then other people who are waking up. You know, people like you who are, who are looking at how can we hide in our performance, how can we do things in a more efficient way, how can we delete these programs that are limiting us. And so there's these two camps occurring, and I don't know where it'll end up, but, but we're definitely, I think, in a revolution. Mm-hmm. So when, when you say depopulation, you don't mean bees. No, I mean humans. I, I, I mean humans. I think the Zika virus is a, is a perfect example of, of uh, mis- and disinformation where people think one thing is happening where on the, on, on the, on the underneath are a lot of other things happening like uh, justification to create a vaccine and um, genetically modified mosquitoes and shit. Oops, can I swear on this show? Yeah. And cra- crap being added. Sorry. Going? crap being added to our waters and so on and so forth. Uh, but on the surface, there's massive mayhem and, and uh, a global virus happening. So I don't know if that answers your question. It kind of does. And I wrote my first book, The, the Better Baby Book, uh, with my wife about fertility and what you can do before you even get pregnant to have healthier babies. My wife was infertile when I met her. Uh, she was 35 and we restored her fertility and had two kids at 39 and 42. And what I learned from the 1,300 references and five years of research that went into that book was I'm not worried about a global population problem because the incidence of infertility is going up so dramatically. Like humans can't reproduce very effectively. Like one in eight couples now at reproductive age can't do it. Next generation, it'll be much worse. It'll probably be one in four. And after that, it'll be one in two. And if we don't get our <laughs> get our stuff together, it's, it's not gonna continue. Uh, so uh, I, I don't really have a dark view of the future, but I think it's going to be increasingly harder to have kids and to feed kids and to not have kids who are broken. 
because they're the ones who pay the most for the crap we spray in, in our food and in our water and just the unconscious things we do that create a secondary effects that no one thought about. And as a, as a biohacker, the way hackers get into a system is we look for secondary effects. We look for little things no one thought of that weren't supposed to go that way but can, and then we leverage those. And I see that stuff happening all over the place, and I'm concerned about it. So I, I do what I can to remove the things that make me weak and to do more of the things that make me strong and conscious and aware and, and, and to teach other people how to do that because I don't know what else to do. <laughs> I'd like to just tell people, stop spraying some of these pesticides because they're really bad. Uh, but I don't know that I quite have the power yet, but millions of people do have that power to be like, we're not eating that anymore. If it was on there, it's not food. And that is working. Campbell's yeah. just said, oh, like maybe we will talk about GMO labeling. And they broke away from the Grocery Manufacturers Association, which is a front group for pesticides, as far as I can tell. And they said, all right, we're going we're gonna to talk about that. We're, we're going to actually label our products. And so maybe we can have a you know, bee-friendly label on products i, I don't know but I, I feel like there's more to do and there the, are some bee friendly labels oh, and if, if you look at yeah, where, where we were in two when we started filming in 2007 and where we are now the change is is happening and and we are raising our consciousness and it's about education it really is i think education is the first step towards affecting change and continuing to to share the information like you're uh-huh. doing or like we're all do, all doing on on the path to empower people, and it takes critical critical thinking as well to really question these old paradigms, question things that have been told to us. Um, so it's exciting times. Uh, there are definitely uh, really good opportunities, and and one of the things we can do is we can talk about what does honey do uh, for us, and, and I. Okay, fructose, generally I don't like a lot of fructose. I'm under 20, 25 grams a day. Might have some benefits. Uh, There are lots of people who do very well on a zero sugar diet, including zero fructose. But honey has weird effects that aren't the same as fructose, although it does have some of fructose's effects, uh, which is one of the reasons I'm curious about it. And Steve, I I have some questions for you as well around like what – how did you first get into honey? I mean, you, you were a raw juice guy. You've done all these things for a long time. How did you discover honey and, and more specifically all of the bee products and what they could do for you? Okay, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. Uh, and this, this is the thing about uh, bee products. Most people think of, the first thing they think of is honey. And that's really as far as their knowledge goes is, uh, you know, they, they, they're not really aware of the other products of the hive, which are actually considered, you know, if you go back and trace our history, these, these are the cornerstones of our medicines. Uh, if you, if you could go back to, I know you're a Ayurvedic guy, you, you know, you, you, the principles of the bulletproof diet are, are rooted in Ayurvedic. Um, you go back there and you'll find uh, royal jelly, uh, ancient yep. Chinese, ancient Chinese medicine. Uh, you'll find royal jelly as the cornerstone of that, uh, as well as beeswax uh, to, in order to make uh, uh, salves and stuff like that. Um, uh, well, I think most people listening don't know what royal jelly is. Uh, will you okay. define what it is? And then I, I have a really cool yeah. story about how I discovered that stuff. So talk okay, about cool. It. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Royal jelly is actually a secretion that comes from nursing bees that are responsible for rearing the next generation of bees. So basically, uh, the if you if you look at the hive, there's a division of labor that exists uh, and. It's very regimented, and, and the bees that are designated as nursing bees uh, prepare the the honeycombs for the for the for the queen to 
to lay her eggs. So what they'll do is they pick up on a pheromone from the queen, and that causes a, uh, a secretion in a gland. Uh, what they'll do is, is, is secrete this substance into the honeycomb. The queen comes along and lays her eggs in that. Uh, so when those eggs hatch, there's, there's, some, there's some nutrition, there's, some, there's something there for the, for the, uh, the larvae to, to feed on. And they feed on, all bees get a diet of royal jelly for, for a total of three days. And after three days, they'll switch to pollen as their, as their primary uh, diet. But it's the royal jelly that's fed to the, to the bees that are designated to become queens. And those are known as uh, Melissa. The name Melissa actually comes from, from that, that, uh, that distinction. So uh, these, uh, the Melissa will, will continue on a diet of royal jelly. They will mature into queens. And what happens to them is they, they go through a metamorphosis, if you will. It's, um, it extends their life by, say, like a regular bee will live for five weeks. The queen can live for five years. So there's this life extension quality to, to that, that is triggered by royal jelly, as well as just their, their size. They grow maybe, I think it's like two-thirds the size of a normal bee. So they have this, this large, you know, this, the, they, they, their body grows larger than a regular bee. And also, they, when they become fully fertile, you're talking about fertility. Royal jelly is a huge, uh, huge part of fertility and it's been known for centuries to, to induce fertility or to, to, to aid in fertility. But the queen bee will lay 2,000 eggs a day. I mean, she's like super fertile. She's super large and her, she has a life extension that goes on like by an order of magnitude uh, that's unparalleled in nature. So royal jelly really captured the imagination of humans way back in the early in our earliest earliest times as like something something of significant substance that is like you know it's unparalleled anywhere um so it because of that it became uh recognized as medicine and uh through many centuries it was considered you know very powerful medicine in modern times i think we've kind of lost that we've lost our connection to that um and, you know, that's part of what I do is hope to hopefully bring that, that awareness back to these, you know, that nature does have a large amount of intelligence that we can, we can still learn from. We're, we're, we haven't, we haven't uh, outsmarted nature in a lot of different ways, you know what I'm saying? So anyway, so you were talking about royal jelly. I just wanted to um, say, add and say that I had broke I broke my wrist um, a year and a half ago or so, yeah, that's right. and um, Steve gave me some some royal jelly because of the HGH. It has growth, growth hormones, and um, he had read that it was good for bones. and And I cut down with the regimen I did from eight weeks to four and a half weeks. Wow! Um, and I really do yeah. believe it was because of the mega dosing of royal jelly which in my opinion does not taste very yummy but well that that taste most people are put off by that taste of royal jelly it is unique to its to itself it's hard to describe it uh you can't compare it to anything it has it has its it you know it definitely has a a distinct flavor and you can it's very easy to be put off by that and to you know turn away from it because of it but i found that when you take it and you have it in your diet on a regular basis that 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 flavor, you you do acquire a taste for it. It actually you begin to appreciate it and crave it almost. Um, but uh, yeah, I remember that, Miriam. I'm glad you recovered from that. And I just as I suspected from my reading in, on royal mm. jelly that it, that it does have this restorative quality to the body. Uh, it's known as an anti-aging uh, agent. It's uh, it's it's known as um, as you know. It's been this this is for centuries. You know, if you go back to ancient Egypt. Mm-hmm. You know, the, these this was considered the, the, you know, by by the, 
it was like food for the gods. It was something that the pharaoh would 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 acquire, you know, as as they're on their path to immortality. You know, the royal jelly was considered, yeah, con- considered fountain of youth. Yeah, considered sacred. Yeah, the the Egyptians sure had a lot of interesting living forever sorts of things. I I, I wonder if. 10,000 years from now, they'll find a bunch of people whose heads are frozen in liquid nitrogen still. And they're like, oh, like, these are the old Egyptians, Egyptian 2.0, who are trying to live forever. Uh, and, and certainly there's some really interesting alternative stuff around uh, strange monoatomic gold things that the Egyptians were potentially mm. working with. Right. And, and, Mokst. It, it had a weird name. Yeah, Mokst or Ormus. And, and so I, I've read a lot of that stuff. I, I have some of the original research on that. And and it's interesting, mm-hmm. Royal Jelly does have a, a profound history there, and I'd never heard of this stuff. When, when I was, I was about 1995, I'd lost 50 of my 100 pounds, and I was in university. And I, I had this professor who was like probably 50 at the time, his name was Ron Lodewijk, and he's retired now, but he just had tons of energy. He was the department chair, and he taught all these classes, and, and I was having real problems with my brain. It turns out I was drinking Diet Coke to try and not have uh, sugar, and... Uh, that was breaking my brain. So so I was like in class just zombified. And I asked him one day, I'm like, you're like twice as old as me. Uh, and like, how do you have all this energy? And, and he kind of looked at me funny and he's like, I think it's the royal jelly I take every day. And, and I'm like, oh. what is this crap? You know, I, I didn't know a lot of the stuff I know now. Uh, so I went and I, I looked it up on, I think, Alta Vista because Google wasn't really very a big, very, in fact, I don't think they were created yet. And... Mm. I looked at it and said, this is kind of cool. So I bought some and I tried it. And honestly, I don't know if I felt a difference. I was pretty messed up biologically. But I, I just remember ever since then, it's always been in my mind that royal jelly is, is, is interesting and that it does have this huge tradition of use. And what I found is almost everything with a huge tradition of use for thousands of years has some merit behind it. Right. So, so we've got royal jelly as one B product most people don't know about. Uh, that that is, is helpful. And certainly there's one anecdotal empirical bit of evidence there. Uh, what about some other bee products that aren't honey? T- tell me yeah. about those. Well, uh, my specialty is bee pollen. You know, that's uh, that's mm-hmm. kind of what my, my business is, uh, hive mind bee pollen. And uh, that's basically what what I consider, in not only me, but it's it's it, in the realm of superfoods. You know, we talk about superfoods, spirulina and, you know, a variety. Of, you know, they're very popular nowadays. Well, bee pollen is probably... The most potent of the superfoods, mainly because bees are collecting it from a variety of sources, a variety of uh, of uh, species of plants, all of which have medicinal qualities. They have nutritional qualities. Um, so bees are, you know, over the course of, you know, let's say 150 million years or whenever bees arrived on this planet and started started doing their thing, uh, they've kind of learned learned which plants, you know, instinctively to go to and to collect from. Uh, so they're they're putting this stuff together. It's not it's not man made. It's not uh, and it's, it's it's not even really it wouldn't occur naturally. I mean, pollen would basically blow away in the wind if if it weren't for honeybees collecting it. So they in- intrinsically recognize a value to this stuff, and they are attracted to plants that have these these qualities. You know, these nutritional principles that they're looking for because basically when they collect pollen, it's for their food source. Most people think of honey as, uh, as, as what bees eat, but they, they do. They eat the honey, but they also mix the pollen with the honey. It's a, it's a combination. And it's the pollen that contains the sustenance. It's got the minerals. It's got the vitamins. It's got the enzymes, the amino acids. The um, protein. 
the, yeah, well, the amino acids, it's, it's the protein, but it's before it becomes protein. Amino acids are the building blocks for proteins. So you're, you're getting, or basically what they're collecting is this nutrition, these, this basic nutrition that's coming from a blooming flower in a microscopic form. Uh, and that's, you know, that's, it's, not, it's not synthesized in a laboratory. It's created basically from sunlight and photosynthesis and all these basic, basic principles of life. And these insects, these, you know, they're, they're very intuitive. So they're out there seeking the environment, looking for the best quality nutrition that they can find because it's basically how they're going to survive. And uh, so over the course of millions of years, they've kind of, you know, the way it, the way it seems is they've, they've perfected this. And uh, so there's something kind of, in my mind, something very profound about this, this, this stuff. Uh, one, it wouldn't, it wouldn't exist without the bees collecting this microscopic substance, but, you know, balling it together, c- condensing it, and then bringing it back to the hive and concentrating it in, the, in that hive. Um, without them, we wouldn't, we, wouldn't have, we wouldn't have not only the, the pollen, but we, there's so much we wouldn't have. You kind of open up the show by saying that your garden wouldn't work without the bees. And the whole biosphere wouldn't work without the bees. I mean, they, they contribute what they contribute to the biosphere, uh, and not only to to just you know the general you know uh, the Earth's biosphere, but also just what they contribute to us as a species. We have a we have a very special relationship with bees. It's a symbiotic relationship, and um, we depend on them. You know because we wouldn't be able to feed a civilization without without agriculture, and we can't have agriculture without bees. So when you really break it down, it's like there's there's a tremendous amount of intelligence, in not only in these creatures, but in the substances that they're collecting. You know, if you think about pollen, it's the DNA material from the plant kingdom. It contains the 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 blueprints, you know, for of life that go back, you know, go back to the beginning, and that's all. It's all there. It's it's in a you know it's the nucleic acids and all that stuff. It's like you. You're in, ingesting that, um, and by doing so, and this is, you know, I, I've, I've been influenced by, you know, people that I've read, like Graham Hancock. I know he's, he's been on your show. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with a guy named Jeremy Narby. Nope. Who, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, um, he's an uh, ethnobotanist, uh, anthropologist. Uh, I spent some time in the Amazon with, uh, with the, uh, the, native, the native people there, with, the, with ayahuasca, and he wrote a book called... Uh, the Cosmic Serpent, and oh, that book actually, is. That, I have read that book. Okay. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. So you're you're aware of it, mm-hmm. where he kind of theorizes on, on the function of DNA, and the relationship between plant intelligence and human intelligence, or I'm not sorry, I'm sorry, not human intelligence, but animal intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a symbiosis that occurs, um, and not not too. It's not 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 unlike uh, the, the way we our respiratory system. We exhale oxygen. Or, I'm sorry, we exhale carbon dioxide and inhale oxygen. The plant kingdom does just the opposite. So we have this, there's this inherent symbiosis that occurs. And if you break that down on the DNA level, I, I, my, my, my guess is that there's, there must be some exchange, some exchange of information as well. So when you're, when you're taking in that plant DNA, it's interacting with your, your, with your own DNA. Right. And it, it triggers things. And that, that leads into like Bruce Lipton's theories of ep, you know, epigenetics, having the signals in the bloodstream that, that can affect 
the, the cellular behavior. Um, so what happens, let's say, with CBD oil, the ECS system, the, the plant is basically interfacing with you because we have an endocannabinoid system within us. I wanted to say something about the, the bee pollen. I, um, I was in beekeeping in Costa Rica, and I was working with some beekeepers, and there was we were in their yard, and there were four different um, hives. Just FYI that in Costa Rica, they're all killer, quote-unquote, Africanized bees, very, very aggressive. And within these hives were just next to each other, and we were checking for pollen, and in, in one hive it was completely red pollen and then in the other hive there was barely any pollen so every hive has its own personality and also just to add that obviously if we're trucking bees from monoculture to monoculture that the bees themselves are not getting the variety that they yeah. want because then they're they're just you know let's put them on uh, blueberries for four weeks and they're not having that variety and they're missing they're being malnourished because that's not the way they would forage um, so just wanted there's, to add that there's also a, the issue of a, a bee monoculture uh, there are 400 species of bees on the island where i live and wow. the idea of having a single species of bee that okay this is the bee we have we're gonna have all these hives we're gonna truck them somewhere that in and of itself is pretty unnatural and, and all sorts of things what you want to do is have distributed bee systems, just like we should have distributed food generation, distributed power generation. Right. That's right. So we have and a, polycultures. A, yeah, and, and polyculture, right? What that what that's called is is what I worked most of my career to build in Silicon Valley. It's called a resilient architecture, right? It it means it's able to handle failure. And you want to know how we could do what we're doing today? Well, Google is based on resilient architecture. You can lose one unit and the whole thing doesn't break, and uh, even our communication pathways, there's dozens of different paths that the little bits between us right now can take in case one doesn't work. And what we've built into our food supply is a non-resilient architecture where we have one species of bees, or probably more accurately, a few species of bees that are kept commercially, right. uh, with, which means we're, when we spray these pesticides, we're actually killing bees, species that may be important that we don't know about, just like we're doing for all the heritage breeds of 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 chickens and cows and apples and all the other things by monoculture. And, and we're, we're breaking it because we're taking what was a really hard to break system and we're, we're destroying the diversity that creates resilience. And what that means is that we may have resistance uh, too. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It means we have nothing to eat at some point. <laughs> exactly. If you go back through history, what you recognize is that, you know, when we were an agrarian society, it was very common to keep bees. It was, you know, it was, it was decentralized. Um, most people, if they had a farm, they had bees on their farm, and they were you know, they were collecting these products of the hive as as not only a food source but as medicines, and you know it was just it was important to to pollinate their 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 crops, just like in your garden. Now you know we've gotten into this uh, modern modernized world where it's all um, you know it's 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 become centralized. You know you might have one beekeeper with you know sixty thousand hives, and he puts them on trucks and drives them around the country. It's completely unnatural. Um, so what, what's happened is over time, we've gotten so far away from the original, um, the original relationship, if you will, that uh, I think that's why we're facing what we're, the crisis that we are facing is because, you know, you, it's out of balance. When, There's once a disconnect the, happening. Yeah. And once that system gets out of balance, you know, there's, things start to unravel. You start to recognize it. Now, you asked earlier about hope. Uh, are you hopeful about the situation? And you know, personally, I am because I think that what it takes is something like a, 
you know, mysterious die-off of honeybees, a disappearance of honeybees, in order for us to recognize that we've we've abused the relationship and it needs to be corrected. And also, um, and also collapse. I mean, the collapse needs to happen. There's collapse, whether it's in, an edu- in our education system, in our health system, in our political system, whether it's with the bees. All these systems have to collapse in mm-hmm. order for new paradigms to sprout forth. And so right. we say in our film that colony collapse is a blessing in disguise because it's waking us up to what is really occurring and, and trying to reestablish a, a connection and do things more efficiently because these monocultures are really, really breeding grounds for pests and creating resistance. And whether it's resistance to ground up or, and creating superbugs, we're, we're living in a very real world where there's antibiotic resistance epidemic and it's all causing us to look at the way we do things and to reassess and to re revolutionize i believe so it's it's a blessing in disguise it's one of the reasons that the the buddhist deity kali exists and and she's the the god of of death and rebirth and here it is this is a deity whose whose job has to do with you know birth but she has a a necklace of skulls that she wears which has always been fascinating to me i I learned about this when i was in tibet uh, learning meditation from meditation people out there and uh, it, it's what you're saying is true. Sometimes stuff has to break for new stuff to come out. And right now our medical system is breaking and our food system is breaking. And good. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, guys exactly. are doing that. <laughs> but, but do you notice how it also creates a, an awakened consciousness? Absolutely. You know? so, so this is like, these are almost like, Miriam, you like to say it's the, the bees are the canary in the coal mine. And in a way, it's true. They, they're very sensitive to the environment. They have it, you know, there's, they're, 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 they're an intuitive creature. Um, and when we when we see this this happen, it triggers a, 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 an awareness of it. And if you look at it, there's there's all kinds of communities around the country who have banned beekeeping simply because you know they 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 passed ordinances because they don't you know it's 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 bothersome. It's like years ago people had chickens in their backyard, you know, and you know after a while it's like okay we got to get rid of this this whole idea of you know people having you know creating their own food and all this kind of stuff or, or whatever. It's just a or they're mis- and miseducated. I mean, in Los Angeles right. it was because of the mites and it was because also because of the Africanized bees and it's taken us. How long to legalize beekeeping in Los Angeles? We just got yeah, it legalized this exactly. this uh, uh, a couple of months ago. Would, would you really uh, want exactly. to eat honey from Los Angeles? <laughs> the amount of pollution there is well, so Well, that's high. the ironic thing that le- that's the, yes, but that's the ironic thing that bees are doing better in the cities than they're doing in the countryside. Now, if we take a moment oh, to really think size. of how effed up that is, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's because there's less. Uh, chemicals in the cities than in the countryside and there's a huge uh, urbanization movement so yes there's tons of pollution i don't know if i'd be eating honey in los angeles but i'd definitely be let's say in montreal there's a huge ur- urban beekeeping movement happening so i'd have to quest- question uh wh- where yeah what is safe honey Got it. Well, let, let's and, and let's re- talk about honey really quick, Stephen, because there's a bunch of Chinese honey that's microfiltered, so you can't even tell where it came from because they're heating it, they're pulling in all the pollen. Talk about that for a little bit. Like, like, what's the difference between the bulk, cheap honey that you can buy and the, the raw honey well, or the unfiltered honey and all those things? Yeah, it's it it's purely <laughs> economical. You know, I mean, the reason why they have that microfiltered 
honey is to give it a long shelf life. And people are, are conditioned to believe that, you know, you have to see this clear, this clarity in the honey that it's, you know, if it starts to crystallize that, you know, that's, that's, that's not good quality. It's just the opposite is true. That crystallized honey is actually that raw unfiltered honey. That's where that contains the medicinal properties. That contains the enzymes. The, the, yeah. The nutrition. Uh, when you denature it, you know, that, uh, the honey that we see in the store, like the massive produced stuff, that, that's mainly so that they can give it a long shelf life and it looks pretty on the shelf, but uh, it's really, it's, it's lost. It's, they it's, mix uh, it with crap. They, they mix it with lactose. Yeah. They mix it with, with um, they put antibiotics. There's all kinds of, all kinds of, they cut it with, um, with other artificial sweeteners. And a lot of people, maybe I would venture to say, have not ever really tasted real honey. There's yeah, a dis- distinct true. difference. And when you do taste it, you can't go back to the stuff that you see in, in the in the grocery store. It's like the best source for honey is to find a local source, a beekeeper, um, something that you know is uh, where the source is, the floral the floral source as well. Uh, and there's a lot of different varieties, and you can taste the difference. I mean, if you have an, uh, an avocado honey compared to a wildflower i mean there's a distinct difference in flavor and it's like yeah it's like in, it, it's almost a joy to to try all these different types of honey i mean you could have like six different varietals of honey and they're all they all are different and uh so yeah we i mean used to pe- do honey tastings during our fundraisers and just really educate people and when they see that how the range i mean you're talking about pine honey avocado honey just all, all different types, all different colors, all different textures. It's, it's amazing. I've seen people with autoimmune conditions or, or lots of allergies actually in, in lab tests come up as allergic to honey. Uh, have you guys come across people with honey allergies? I, I, I'm not allergic. I, I see it as medicine and I have a lot of people who are like, I don't, you know, I'm on a candida diet. I don't do honey, but I, I see it as medicine. I haven't come across that. You haven't. There, okay. there are people who are I, in the in the business that I'm in. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm I'm in the pollen business, and I, you know, I spend a lot of time in stores handing out samples to people, and I have to clarify with people before I give them a sample to make sure. I always ask them, "Do you have allergies?" Because there's a there's a small percentage of people who do have allergies to bees. Uh, they, you know, a bee sting can be fatal. So and it carries um, over. So if someone is is because I get this question a lot, I'm allergic to bees. And can I eat honey? Can I eat pollen? So yeah, I, I don't know. It's an individual thing. You know what I mean? It's not something that's across the board, and it's everybody's an individual that you know has a different uh, has a different uh, I'm talk- metabolism. I'm talking in a, in a lab test. They look for uh, antibodies in the blood, IgG antibodies, to specifically honey as an antigen, like kind of a quantified thing. And I've seen that in a few people, and I'm just wondering. I was thinking maybe there's some sort of royal jelly pollen cure for that sort of thing because the people who are allergic to honey uh, that I've talked to aren't, aren't you know, super pleased about it because honey tastes good and, and all that. Right. Uh, but you guys haven't come across so. that very much. I, I've come across people who have uh, allergies to, to honey, to pollen, to bee products. Um, and those, I usually, um, you know, they're not, they're not, you know, I'm not marketing to them. You know, I've usually tell them, you know, you, you probably don't want to get involved in this if it's going to cause wreak havoc on your on your on your body. So, but there are there are people who do have that, and uh, it's like peanuts, for example. That's sure. something that you know can be, you know, it's a you know it can be terrible for people. Other people it has no effect whatsoever. So, yeah, it's unfortunate, but you know we're all different in, in our own way. As an as an aside, the venom itself, if you're not allergic. 
um, is, is wonderful for MS, for arthritis, to build up your immune system, um, and, and there is a way to do it where the bees don't, aren't harmed. I was hoping that you guys were going to have some magic cure for for those people, but it, it was it was a, a distant hope, and I was hopeful. Yeah, we didn't even get to talk about bee venom therapy, but we're running out of time on the show. And and bee venom therapy is one of the earliest successful treatments for uh, autoimmune conditions. Like it, it actually helps dramatically uh, for some of these things where you know, they kind of have the bee stick its stinger in you a little bit, and sometimes they in, inject you with it. So so th- these are. Creatures where I think we probably haven't studied them enough. They're magic. Yeah. yeah. Well, really the, the, the venom therapy, that's something that is taking on more research nowadays. Uh, you're getting, there's, there's much more uh, uh, focus on these things as, as, as potential cures mm-hmm. for cancer and de- degenerative diseases. But if you trace it back to, the, like I was saying earlier, the beginnings of our medicines, I mean, uh, acupuncture, Chinese medicine. The original I mean, acupuncture. Yeah, it's the original acupuncture. They were injecting instead of needles, they were using the uh, the bee stinger, injecting venom into the body's meridian system. Really? And that, yeah, yeah. And that's that's, yeah. And that's the origins of uh, Chinese acupuncture. It's yes. like basically one of the oldest forms of medicine known to man. It I all comes can't, from the honeybees. I can't believe I didn't know that. That's so cool. I mean, it treats. I said earlier, it treats MS, and it does help with autoimmune. When we were in the field. Uh, George and I would would sting ourselves on purpose. A couple of times, beekeepers found us. They're like, "What are you guys doing?" Um, and just uh, sting, put put the stings mm-hmm. along my spine, and it definitely bolsters your immune system if you're not allergic. You know, my my wife's grandfather was a, a farmer in the in the Czech Republic. You know, lived very close to the land. I guess he was in Czechoslovakia back then. Uh, he spent uh, a couple years in a in a concentration camp as a political prisoner because he he's created the the Czechoslovakian anti-communist party the day before the communists took over. Like maybe not the smartest move, but one of the things that that she's told me about is that every spring he would go out and and collect nettles and like like smack himself with nettles and then get stung by a bee. He kept bees and had for a long time in order to. Uh, in order to make sure that that he d- didn't get allergies, he never had allergies, and he just mm-hmm. said, I, "I feel great when I do this." So you just reminded me of that story, but it, it's it's pretty fascinating. Which is another thing, Steve. When you eat pollen, you help with your allergies. If you eat local honey, if you want to touch upon that, oh, absolutely, yeah. Pollen is known also as a as a as a treatment for allergies, and the, the basically, you know, we we get affected by pollen in the air we breathe it in it hits the respiratory system wreaks havoc on the body um but yeah it's it's known as a treatment for allergies by ingesting it your 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 body's able to build up a resistance to it uh by building up those antibodies and so then when it does hit the respiratory system it doesn't have the same devastating effect so it's a slow it's a slow inoculation if you will um, but yeah, that's, that's been known as a treatment for allergies. And I get that all the time from people. The first thing they say about pollen is, oh yeah, that's good for allergies. And I say, yes, it is. It's great for allergies. Uh, but at the same time, I'm not a, you know, I, I can't really, I'm not, I don't focus on medical issues. So I'm not, I'm not able to, you know, I'm not qualified okay. to do that. But in, in, in but the U S uh, let's just be really straightforward. In the U S if you sell a food, 
even if it has medical products, you, if it has medical effects, you cannot talk about the medical effects of your food because then you're selling drugs. Like the law is bizarre. You can't that make way. the claims. It's yeah. very, I don't, it's very I don't make any, yeah, I, I, uh, I shy away from making any claims and you, you know exactly what I'm I, talking I, about. I barely here. can tell people what coffee does. So I'm like, hey, it just makes yeah. you feel good. But <laughs> I was like, yeah. that's why we and have Google. <laughs> what, what, yeah, exactly. So do some, re- I always tell people, do a little bit of research on bees and bee products and you, you will be blown away by what you find because there's that information, that knowledge somehow i don't know how it happened but it seems to be a blind spot in the in the culture and in just the consciousness of people uh we, we're all aware of bees uh but we don't know exactly their their the the full scope of their importance and and their influence i think i think that people are imprinted uh to have a fear of of bees and it, it stays with them and so then they have a negative Association and part right. of the education is is to reverse reverse that and and that's why I, I took that one picture of me covered with bees because I wanted to show the communion and to show that if you emit love they feel the fear and if you emit love then then there's there's nothing to fear unless of course they're agro uh, Africanized bees. My. My kids, uh, just the other day, they found a, a bumblebee. It was a little too cold. So they, they brought the bumble in and they put it on a little flower on the windowsill and they let it spend the night indoors and brought it back outside. So we don't have a fear of bees in our house. That's for Good. sure. Good. Nice. Cool. We're coming up on, on the end of the show. And I, I want to make sure we get some time to talk about uh, the, the question of the day, the question of all the episodes. Uh, given that both of you have unique experiences, I, I think we're going to get some pretty cool answers. So I want to make sure that we, in fact, we're going to start with you, uh, Miriam. If someone came to you tomorrow and said, based on all the stuff you've experienced, not just your your film with bees, uh, but all the things you've done, they said, look, I want to perform better at everything I do. I want to kick more ass in my life. What are the three most important things that I should know? What would you say? I would tell people to adopt critical thinking and to question everything, for one. Um, two, I would definitely tell people to eat organic. I believe after my trials and tribulations and health issues um, <clears throat> and different testing with diets that every person is individual and they need to eat to their body for their body type. However, the one universal thing is to eat clean food that's not processed, that's real food. And third of all, I would I would say that in order to perform better, it's very important to do things that help detoxify. I personally am a big fan of glutathione. I've been doing IV glutathione since 2014. And nice. I, I, I think that that's a huge thing to help detoxify um, your pathways. I think one of the things that you find the disease is that there's an accumula- accumulation because we live in such a toxic world these days that people's bodies are having a hard time um, detoxifying. And that glutathione, the max- master antioxidant, is, is as you, you know, I'm sure you've said many times on your show, is, is hugely important. Um, so that would be my three tips. Thank you. And Stephen, what do you think? Well, um, you know, for me, this whole uh, journey with honeybees was not something that I, I sought out. It, it kind of sought me out. It's, uh, I, I had a unique experience that kind of led me down this path. And as I followed that path, I just it, it opened up this world to me that I, I found completely fascinating, uh, profoundly important. 
and I took it on as as um, what f- really strongly felt like a mission. I was be- was being given a mission to deliver this message, and that's why I created Hive Mind Bee Pollen in order to 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 create a platform where I could deliver this message. And um, so, what I would say is like the you know the number one thing. I mean, in addition to what Miriam said and what I often hear on your podcast from people is you know the nutritional principles that you that you that you talk about uh, is also you know find your mission in life. Um, explore different things. Find you know, listen to your your inner self um, because it's there is guides there. There there is there is guidance that helps you find what it is your purpose, why you're here, and how you fit into the into the big picture. Um, and and by doing so, yeah. The number two thing I would say is find your power. Um, by once you find your mission, and the universe tends to support you, and by pursuing you, you by pursuing that you find uh, where your power is, and it may, it may surprise you. It's uh, you challenge yourself in different ways, and suddenly you realize I, I didn't know I could do that. I didn't know I had that talent. I didn't know I had that that ability, and uh, and it's it's amazing. So I would say you know find your find your mission, find your power, and the third thing I would say is confront your fears. Uh, we all have uh, limiting fears that you know that talk us out of doing things that that um, that we we feel like we should do, but we you know we we're we're held back because because of those fears. But if you if that's something you can confront on a daily basis, and whatever it is, you know, whatever it is that scares you, confront it, face it, w- defeat it, because by doing so you build on that concept of finding your power and that's where you do find your power is is by confronting those fears nice beautiful thank you both for being on bulletproof radio thank you dave thank you can you tell me uh or actually more importantly can you tell our listeners uh where they could find more info miriam go first what url should people go to to find out more about your film well i would love for people to visit honeycolony.com which is full of um resourceful, solid information. We, as I say, don't like Cosmo fluffy um, BS stories. And um, we have amazing, amazing products that are curated, that are organic, that are simply transformative. As far as um, seeing the film, you can check it out on Netflix or iTunes. It's called Vanishing of the Bees, and it's narrated by Ellen Page, another tiny, mighty Canadian. Awesome. And Stephen, uh, you can find more information at hivemindpollen.com. That's a website that I set up uh, to to make pollen available to anybody who's interested in it. Uh, I, I sell my products there. I also try to put some information out there too. I'm, I'm in I'm in the process of revamping that website. There's not. Uh, a lot of the pages that I had on there have been taken taken off just because I I, I, I can't explain why. But uh, um, also, I created a <laughs> podcast. You know, Dave, you've been a big influence on me uh, as far as podcasting and stuff. So I, I created a podcast called TheBestVibrance.com. You can find it at, at TheBestVibrance.com. It's also on iTunes, uh, Stitcher. And I bring on guests and we discuss uh, these, you know, we discuss the, the majesty of bees, the, the, um, the, the mysteries of the hive and it, it extends into so many different areas in life. We kind of, we just scratch the surface on this show. Um, I try to, I try to use that podcast as a way to, to expand consciousness around, around honeybees 
and and so that people can recognize that we have a deep, deeply profound relationship with these creatures, and, and it's a codependency, it's a sacred trust that we have, and uh, and it's uh, it's it, 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 there's there's hope for us, and it, and I, in my opinion, it's in the hive. And I just want to leave you with this: uh, if you if there's a, there's a German philosopher from the early 20th century named Rudolf Steiner. If you don't know if you're familiar with him, my, my kids are in a Waldorf school, nice. which was started that by Steiner. Awesome. So yeah, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, he he did a series of nine uh, lectures on honeybees, and it was uh, and it was basically on the uh, the the metaphysical aspect of honeybees, and, and it's prophetic. Yeah, and it's like the stuff he was saying in the 1920s about honeybees is like. You know, it's like we're 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 experiencing all that stuff right now. It's it's profound. It's amazing. And uh, and when I discovered these uh, these lectures, I started. I, I, you know, you can Google them on, and find them. Um, but I was just stunned because the stuff that he's saying are the things that I I you know I I've been saying, and I've just you know just I don't even know where I was pulling this stuff out of. But but um, it just reaffirmed you know my, what I'm trying to do and. You know, Dave, and I appreciate everything that you do as well. I think you're, you know, you're a, you're, you're, what I consider one of the thought leaders of our generation, and I, and I, you know, I support you 100, percent and I, and I'm just glad that there's people like you and Miriam who are following their passion and uh, and creating a better world. Well, thank th- you, Stephen. Yeah, thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Miriam, uh, for being on Bulletproof Radio and for all the work you're doing, and it's keep some some good be goodness going because. I, I really like my honey. I, I like my garden, all that kind of stuff. So thanks for your work, and, and I just really appreciate it. Thank you. Now, if you enjoyed this episode of Bulletproof Radio, and I say this every time, and you know that you enjoyed this episode of Bulletproof Radio. Otherwise, <laughs> you wouldn't have been subscribed. This is like episode 300 and something. Like, like seriously now. Anyway, just kidding. But since, since you enjoyed this episode of Bulletproof Radio, uh, I'd love it if you checked out the work that Stephen and Miriam are doing. Uh, I'd love it if you went to iTunes. And you said, hey, I really like this stuff. It's good. If you give it good ratings, other people can hear about it. And that actually makes a really big difference. Just that that little act can help 10 or 20 other people find this out. And 10 or 20 people sound small. There are almost 30 million downloads of Bulletproof Radio. And there's a really good chance that this episode you just listened to is actually uh, one of maybe 500,000 copies of it that will be downloaded and listened to. Nice. It's awesome. Cool. What that means uh, that you might not understand is that in the entire history of Bulletproof Radio, I actually do the math, that if you look at the number of hours that human beings are awake, that Bulletproof Radio has now consumed 62.5 human lifetimes with the number of things it's done. And that means one of two things. It means either I'm a mass murderer because I wasted 62.5 human <laughs> lifetimes, or it means that the content that I'm doing my really, really best to, to curate and to bring together in the experts I bring for you, uh, that those are valuable and that those have actually been additive to our human species. That's the way I measure my podcast and my writing, my work on the blog. It's the number of human lifetimes I'm consuming, not the number of eyeballs I get, and not the number of dollars, which is a very tiny fraction of the number of people who come to the website uh, that it generates. But it does pay for the website. So if, if you appreciate Bulletproof Radio, say thanks uh, by doing that. Say thanks by uh, getting some Bulletproof Coffee. You'll receive the benefits from that too. And say thanks by going out and checking out uh, the two websites you just learned about. By the way, all of those are free in the transcript, which is also free. So if you missed any of this stuff and you wanted to hear about it, including the links to Rudolf Steiner's work on bees, all of that is going to be in the Bulletproof Radio transcript. So go ahead and download that. And thanks for listening.
Thank you. Thanks a lot, Dave. Thanks for watching. Get tons more original info to make it easier to kick more asset life when you sign up with a free newsletter at bulletproofexec.com. Thanks for watching and stay bulletproof. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.